Now, what does the word calling actually mean? In the Greek, it's the word kaleo. Everyone say kaleo. And that word means to call out. But it also means to invite. So when Jesus would invite people to the banquet, do you remember that? He would kaleo them. When you are invited onto a team, you know, you hear people saying, I was called up. And then we see the list, Springboks, list. It means to call, it means to call out, it means to invite, it means to name. That's why when you're talking about being named, you say, oh, my child is called. Daniel. Amen? My child is called Samuel. My child is called Jaden. I think that's beautiful because when God calls you, it's an invitation. You see, some of you have been called, but you've rejected the invitation. You see, when Jesus called you, it wasn't just to attend church. We have to know to what we've been called, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus called you, he did not say, I am calling you to be a good pew warmer, to warm up the seats. There's much more. And my question to you this morning is, have you responded to the invitation? Do you know to what you've been called? Do you know to whom you've been called? And have you responded to the invitation? Please say to the person next to you, I am called. And what I love is that that calling, it's to name. So what has God named you for? So when that list goes up, you say, were you named? Were you on the list? And people look who are your fans and they say, oh, he's not in the first 11. He's not in the starting lineup. So I know what God has called me to. My name is there. And I know, okay, I've been called to that and I'm on that list for that particular calling. Some of you are looking on the wrong list. Some of you are looking for your name in the wrong sport. You're supposed to be Springbok Rugby, but you're looking at the soccer lists. You're supposed to be an apostle planting churches, but you're looking at the list for pastors who are pastoring one church all their life. You're supposed to be a kingdom financier starting multiple businesses, but because the thing that's idolized in your family is being a bishop. So now you're looking at the list of bishops, but you've been named elsewhere. My question to you, are you looking on the correct list for where your name is, where you've been named? Amen? So there are principles we get here from this scripture, from Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. What are the principles we get here by way of introduction? God's gifts and callings are linked. Did that land? God's gifts and callings are linked. The second principle we get here is that God grants you gifts in order to fulfill your calling. God's will will never take me where his grace cannot sustain me. God's will will never take me where his grace cannot sustain me. So if I'm in God's will, he supplies all the resources that I need in order to do his will. God is not some harsh taskmaster who will say, I am calling you to this, Charlene. I'm calling you to this, Stuart. I'm calling you to this, Tankisho. But you'll have to figure out how you're going to do it. I ain't giving you the resources. How many of you have had an experience with men 
or women in the workplace where they say to you, where your boss says, I want you to do A, B, C, D. And you're like, just me by myself. But surely I need a contractor to come and help me. Surely I need some support staff. I know people who are complaining today because they're saying, my boss gives me A, B, C, D, E, F, and G to do, but is not giving me the resources to do it. God is not like that. Isn't that wonderful? God ain't like that. He's not like that. He will give you everything you need to do what you've been called to do. Some of you are mothering children. I was talking to someone yesterday and she said, Paul, you know what? I'm not a natural nurturer like my sister. I'm not a natural nurturer like my sister. But you know what freed me up? Was when I realized that there's some, apparently some nurturing gene that some people have. And I said to this person, you know what's wonderful? God has called you to be, person has got one, one son, God has called you to be the mother of this boy. So God has given you all the resources that you need to mother this boy. He knew what you needed to mother this boy. Amen? Some of you make the mistake where you compare yourselves so much with other people saying, why haven't I got this? Why haven't I got this? You didn't need it for what he's called you to. You didn't need it. Simple as that. Amen. God never changes his mind with regards to his calling on your life. And God never changes his mind concerning the gifts that he has given you. So we're going to do a bit of a book study. If you can turn with me, we want to understand our callings. How many of you want to understand your callings? Okay, so I'm speaking to the right audience. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be unpacking 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 22. The first thing I want you to understand this morning concerning understanding your calling is that it requires maturity to truly understand your calling. It requires what? It requires maturity to truly understand your calling. It's something very spiritual. And a lot of people are very flesh orientated when it comes to understanding their calling. Look what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. How many of you know that when you're speaking to certain crowds, you can't address them as people who live by the Spirit because they're fleshly? Is everyone following? He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, which category do you fit in? When we address you, can we address you by, as someone who lives by the Spirit? Or do we have to address you as an infant in Christ? In verse 2, he says, I gave you milk, not solid food. There's certain things that you can't give certain people because they operate like people of the world. He says, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. For those of you who think that Paul was easy on the people, he says, guys, you're still not ready. <laughs> Imagine someone saying that to you. You're like, teach me, teach me. And they say, I don't know, you're still not ready. 
Then he says, indeed, you're still not ready. I'm curious to know, why did he judge the situation this way? Why did he judge these people as they are not yet ready? What were they doing? Were they fornicating? Were they going around getting drunk? What was the issue here? And this is what the issue was. He says, you are, you are still worldly. What does worldliness look like in this context? He says, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? There are a lot of Christians who judge themselves so much by what they don't do. I don't do those things. I don't do those things. I don't do those things. But they're full of jealousy and they're always quarreling. And Paul here says, you guys, are you not still worldly? If you're doing this, then look where he goes. He says, are you not acting like mere humans? Now, very often when Christians mess up, we say, I know, but he's also human, so it's okay. How many of you have heard that before? But Paul here, his expectation is that, you know what? You mustn't be operating like an ordinary human being because you have the spirit of Christ in you. Remember that song by Michael Jackson? If they ask you why, why? Tell them that it's human nature. When Paul the apostle is saying, that doesn't apply here. Is everyone following? You guys know the song, right? If they ask you why, why? Tell them that it's human nature. Why, why? And I was told that I, I talked like Michael Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Wish I could sing like him. But the point is, he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Now watch how it applies to callings. Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? These people had a fleshly view of callings. You see, when we're talking about understanding your calling, we're not just talking about how you deal with your own calling. We're talking about how you understand other people's callings around you. Because your calling is in the context of other people's callings. Amen? And I find it very interesting because today you've got a lot of so-called pseudo-religious people, but they're still playing games of comparison. They're still playing, my pastor is better than your pastor. My church is better than your church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They're there in the word every day, in church every day, but they're acting like mere human beings when it comes to understanding callings and giftings. Understanding your calling and the calling of others is very spiritual. Very spiritual. My pastor is better than your pastor. Or tougherer. Let's go a bit deeper into this. How do you know that understanding your calling is something very spiritual? One of the aspects of your calling is that you should not measure it just by what happens today. If you're fleshly, you'll say, but I'm not seeing all the results and you'll measure yourself just by your impact today. But you'll see as we go deeper into this lesson that God looks at it from a perspective of eternity. And one of the things I find amazing is that there are a lot of people who only became famous after they died. You see, if I'm spiritual in my understanding of my calling, I won't measure my effectiveness by how many books I've sold to date. Because how many of you know that your calling continues even after you've died? 
How many of you know that today we are benefiting from all these great people, whether it's your A.W. Pinks, or whether it's your Miles Monroe's, people who are late today, we can still watch their videos, we can still listen to their teachings. Your Derek Princes, your Kenneth Agans, whoever it is that you like to listen to, great teachers. And the impact is still there today. How many of you know that some of you are still benefiting from the prayers that your grandmother prayed over your life when they were still alive? So if I'm true to my calling today, the prayers that I'm praying, because the Bible tells me that that word that is released, that prophetic declaration, does not return void until it accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. Even if it accomplishes that thing 50 years from now, 100 years from now. So maybe if God says to me, Paul, you need to pray for person X. Maybe I need to obey that even if I don't see the results tomorrow. How many of you know that that's a spiritual way of viewing your calling? But if we're sitting here and we're comparing ourselves to the church down the road based on current reality, then there's a problem. We're being fleshly. I follow Paul, not Apollos. I follow Apollos, not Paul. I think they're both great because of how their names sound. Paul, Apollos. Can't get away from this Paul sound. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So it's a very spiritual thing. It's a very spiritual thing. And this is what I've observed. How many of you know King David had the revelation about the temple, didn't he? But did he build the temple? Solomon did. Maybe there's certain things God has put into me that I won't be the one who builds. That's a spiritual way of viewing your calling. Amen? Maybe there's certain books I've written now that will only become bestsellers 70 years from now when maybe one of my kids gets a hold of it and says, the world needs to hear this. So was it worth me working on that book? Yes, it was. A spiritual way of viewing your calling. Not judging it prematurely. We're going to go deep into this. How many of you know that people like, how many of you remember Vincent van Gogh? How many of you have any of his pictures up in your house, even if it's a fake? <laughs> we know Vincent van Gogh. He is one of the guys who only became famous after he had died. You know that? Do you know that in his lifetime, let me ask you, how many paintings do you think he sold in his lifetime? Who can tell me? Van Gogh. How many paintings did Van Gogh sell during his lifetime? I like Rufaro. She's well, well researched and she raises a hand. Yes, one. He only sold one painting for the equivalent of about 1,200 rand. Or 1,400, depends. I'm just changing from US dollars. But 1,400 rand. Only sold one painting. He died in 1890. He only became world famous in about 1910, from what I remember. Okay? He only became famous in 19... In, in, he died in 1890, only got recognized after 1910. Did you know that? So this guy, he got depressed. He had epileptic fits, died from that. And afterwards they went and found about 2,000 pieces of his paintings. So was it worth doing the paintings? Some of you have judged yourselves prematurely. You've judged yourselves based on current reality right now. Instead of saying, I might be doing something that will only be recognized five years down the line. And you see, from God's perspective, he views everything from a perspective of eternity. Isn't that wonderful? 
People like Galileo, Galilei, remember the guy? The guy who invented the telescope. I mean, this guy was a legend. Way, way back in the 1600s, he's saying to guys, ooh, I can see this crater on the moon. Come on, when you watch movies from the 1600s, you're just seeing these guys doing barbaric things and so on. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, this guy's got a telescope he's invented. And he's like, ooh, I'm seeing that sunspot over there. Ooh, I'm seeing that crater on that moon. And people are like, dude, man, the moon, that's just cheese, right? <laughs> and you know that it was only centuries later, in about the 19th century or so, where people are like, hey, that guy had a point. Some of you are about to give up on your dreams because of what a few friends have just few friends have just said to you. How many of you know one of the greatest composers of all time from the Baroque, what is known as the Baroque period? German composer. What is his name? Starts with a B. German Bach. Okay, Johann Sebastian Bach. You can see all the guys who are the teacher's pets in class and sort of, ah, Beethoven, ah, Mozart, ah, wah, wah. <laughs> right? You know that he only became famous after he died. And there's so many people like that. Okay? There was a revival of his music because he lived in the 1600s and 1700s. But in about the 1800s, there was a revival of his type of music and that's where he became famous. What am I saying to you this morning? View your calling in a very spiritual way. Don't judge it based on the natural. Amen. Are you ready? Let's keep going deeper. So what's the first point? It requires maturity to truly understand your calling. Point number two, we need to celebrate our nothingness. The world today is telling us that we must celebrate how great we are and that we are legends. But the Bible shows us that in comparison to God, we are nothing and we must celebrate our nothingness. When I look at the world today, everyone is embellishing their calling. Have you noticed that? So if you're an apostle, you make yourself an apostle of apostles. And that's how you want to be seen by everyone. If you're a teacher, you make yourself a teacher of teachers. And bear in mind, when we're talking about callings, we're not just talking about so-called spiritual things. How many of you know that God anointed Bezalel or Heliab to build the temple? And it says in scripture that he anointed them with all kinds of craftsmanship. So maybe you're an interior designer and God has anointed you for that. And that's your calling in life to go into people's homes and usher in God's presence as a God carrier, as a glory carrier and beautify their homes. Amen. So the call of God is not limited to just what happens in these four walls of, of the church. What I find amazing is that we are called to celebrate our nothingness. Look at verse 5. Paul says, what after all is Apollos? So here are these people boasting, saying like, ooh, I follow Paul. Paul is my favorite. Ooh, I follow Apollos. Because Apollos is such a good preacher. He was, a mighty, he was mighty in words, the Bible tells us. But Paul says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? That's what you guys be saying. What is Paul? Okay. Only servants through whom you came to believe. Now, you know what fleshly people do? They'll be like, that's a significant thing. The guy who led you to the Lord. 
And so people are going around saying, these people not recognize I was the one who led them to the Lord. He, I led them to the Lord. Who, I'm so great and amazing because I led them to the Lord. Paul here says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Isn't that amazing? My question to you is, are you embellishing the call of God on your life? When you're talking to people, are you wanting them to see you as something greater than you are? He de-emphasizes himself and he emphasizes the greatness of God. That's beautiful. And we need more churches like that. Amen. Many people exalt and embellish their callings. Paul sets an example for us here by minimizing himself and exalting God's role. So we're not just minimizing ourselves. We're minimizing ourselves so that God gets all the glory. Amen. So what is Paul? What is Tracy? What is Wimbai? What is Stuart? What is Mutsa? What is Ishe? Mere servants. Amen? Mere servants. Let's, let's get that right. Number three. With every calling comes specific assignments. If you say, I'm called to be a prophet... There's an assignment associated with being a prophet. Jeremiah couldn't just say, oh, the Lord, while I was in my mother's womb, called me to be a prophet to the nations. Oh, I'm a prophet to the nations. Hey, guys, I'm called into the prophetic. No. He says, I'm called to, the, to be a prophet to the nations. And what does God then say? He says, so therefore, speak whatever I give you to speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. There's an assignment associated with every calling. If you say, I'm called to be a mother, there's an assignment that God has given you. If you say, I'm called to be a kingdom business person, there's an assignment God has given you associated with your calling. And God is not playing hide and seek with you with regards to the assignment. The way God's mysteries work, God has mysteries in order to reveal them to you. And he gets the glory when he reveals to you the mystery. Amen? Some people spend their whole lives trying to figure out their calling. When I look in scripture, I see the opposite. God made it very clear what people were called to. I think that we've idolized certain things so we often are confused by what God has called us to. So everyone wants to be this and everyone wants to be that because that's the thing that's highly prized in our society today. And because we're still worldly in our mindset, it becomes very difficult when God like, you know, raises a flag, shows us an angel, gives us so many prophetic words saying, you are called to this. It's like, huh? Really? Because of our flesh. Because our flesh is like, will, will, will that give me the accolades I really want? Amen. With every calling comes specific assignments. And we see this in scripture. Just look at verse 5. It continues and it says, As the Lord has assigned to each his task. So Paul was called by God. Apollos was called by God. But each of them had a different task. And you see, if Paul Nyamuda tries to do the task that has been given to Stuart Bishop, Paul will fail. And Paul will find it stressful. If Wimbai Chariga tries to do the task that has been given to Tracy Nyamuda, she'll be stressed out. Amen? Amen. So for each calling, there's, an, there's a what? There's an assignment. 
And it's up to you to figure out what that assignment is that God has given you that's linked to your calling. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. What would have happened to Paul if he had been planting the seed? Then he sees Apollos watering and then he's like, I also want to be a waterer, guys. It's not fair. How come he gets to water? Lord, and he spends hours travailing. Why is he watering and I just sow seed? Some of you have been called to sow seed and you're watching other people with jealousy now and envy who are watering because watering looks cooler. <laughs> Amen? I don't know about you, but the thing that God has called me to do will come to me most naturally and will be most fulfilling because he's wired me to do that thing and he's given me the gifts for that thing. If you've been given the gifts to sow seed, I don't know, maybe you're short and you're right there. You know, it says that Paul had a bit of a hunchback. Maybe he's a good seed sower, right? <laughs> it's a joke, guys. All right? He was a good seed sower. And now he's like, I want to water, I want to water. Maybe he was not going to be good at watering. Are you envying someone else's gift and calling? Do you look at other people like, ah, I wish I could speak like that. Oh, I wish I could speak like that. And you spend so much energy wanting to be something else while God has given you your thing and you miss your calling. Hey, I wish I could just harmonize like that. Ah, when Paul plays the piano, oh, that jazz thing he brings. Ah, Lord, why not me? You haven't been called to that. Get over yourself, figure out what you're called to do and just do it. Amen? Amen. Say to the person next to you, get over yourself. <laughs> I could see some people are there with their mothers and grandmother, people they respect. It's like you heard the pastor, okay. <laughs> get over yourself. That's a message for lots of people. So it's important to know what your task is. It's important to know your role distinct from other people's roles. You see, when there's no role clarity, there can be negative consequences. When you're not clear with regards to your assignment, there can be negative consequences. That's when there's envy. And the Bible tells us, and we covered this last week when we're talking about fleshly deeds, that whenever there's envy, whenever there's jealousy, there's all kinds of evil. Whenever there's envy and jealousy, what happens? It opens a doorway to the demonic. And we're seeing lots of this in churches and in businesses. Number four, we only truly understand our calling when we embrace God's role in it. My question to you is, what is God's role in your calling? Some of you have been called to be kingdom financiers. Why am I saying this? People say, I'm called to business. I'm called to business. If you're called to business, you're called to be a kingdom financier. You can say, I'm called to business, but I'm stingy with my cash. <laughs> I'm called to make lots of money, but it's money for me and my family. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. And that's why we should start describing kingdom entrepreneurs as kingdom financiers. Simple as that. Amen? Amidst, amongst other things. Right? Amongst other things. You can't say, I'm called to business, but not recognize God's role in prospering you. 
The Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us that in case you end up saying, it is because of my own strength that I've made all this money. Remember this, I the Lord gives you the power, the anointing, the ability to create wealth. How do people make money? They've got a strong personal brand. They're good at sales. They create things. They have witty inventions. All those things that result in them making money, God has blessed them and graced them with that ability. Amen? And if you want to understand your calling, you have to involve God and understand what God's role is in making you what you are today. A lot of people aren't fulfilling their calling in this life because they haven't given God his rightful place. You see, Paul here says, but God has been making it grow. I am sowing the seed. Apollos is watering, but God is the one who makes it grow. Do you know that a lot of stress comes off you when you realize that God has his role to play? You see, when I realize that God is the one who grows this church, not me, it takes the burden off me. I must just fo focus on, am I supposed to be the waterer, like Apollos? And I must just keep on watering. That's my thing. That's my task in this assignment. Just water, water, water. God will make the thing grow. But if I'm like, grow, there's a guy, a preacher way back. Um, in fact, he's still around, actually. A guy called Don Phillips. Some of you might know him if you're from Umtata and those places. He's got a great church there. And when he was still learning English, not that good at English, he would hear these pastors saying, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus. And then you'll start imitating him. And he thought they were actually saying that, you know, Jesus is small inside of you and you have to say, grow little Jesus. So you'd be like, grow little Jesus, grow little Jesus. <laughs> Okay, But how many of you know that when you put effort into trying to make things happen, you end up stressed out? And Paul had this revelation where he was just like, I'm planting seed, Apollos is watering, but God is the one who makes it grow. And when you have that revelation, guess who gets the glory? You see, often we want to say when we have a breakthrough, when things begin to happen in our lives, we want to take the credit. I know it's because of this key I used I know it's because of my new tactic. And if we're honest with ourselves, very often we haven't changed anything. We're still doing things the same old, same old. But at a certain point, God in his own mind, something just kicks in and things start to happen. Amen? Amen. Growth comes from God. And I love the way he emphasizes this in verse 7. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. So neither the one who leads worship nor the one who plays the piano nor the one who preaches is anything. It's landed now, I think, right? But only God. Not God and a little bit of Paul Nyamuda. But only God. Not God and a little bit of TJ Nyamuda. That's Tracy Joy Nyamuda, my wife, those who don't know. It's Tracy Joy Nyamuda, okay? But only God, not Wimbai Chariga from NetBank, but only God. Not Jacques Holmes, but only God who makes things grow. So God is parked off there saying, guys, I'm in the growing business. Why are you stressing out about trying to grow things? 
I'm in the growing business. I'm the one who makes things grow. You do your planting of seed. You do your watering. I'll make things grow. And let me just say something. This does not apply just to churches. This is what a lot of people don't get. This applies to business. I, the Lord, am the one who gives you the power to create wealth. You do your bit. You sow your seed. You go and give that presentation. I'm the one who grants you favor with God and man. I'm the one who will bring cash to you while you're sleeping. Passive income. Go and read scripture. It talks about that. Day and night. It says the wealth of the Gentiles, the wealth of the nations will come to you while you're there. Oh, for those who snore. And if your phone stays on when cash is coming in and you get those SMS reminders while you're sleeping, ching! Ka-ching! Ka-ching! Amen? That's God's portion for you. He's the one who gives it to you. And make sure you give him the glory. Grow, little Jesus. <laughs> Amen. May I never think that I'm the one who makes this church grow. And may you never think that either. And if you come thinking that, I'll rebuke you. May you never think you're the one who makes yourself wealthy. And when I start hearing that narrative coming from you, I'll rebuke you. Can we have a deal? Right? God is the one who gives you the grace. And this revelation, my friends, will protect you from delusions of grandeur. Do you, you know delusions of grandeur? When people think they're more than they actually are. When this wise entrepreneur starts making a bit of cash and he has this mindset that he's the one who's done it. Foolishness. It's what? Foolishness. Amen. Number five, our callings are linked to one purpose. What Tracy Joy Nyamuda is called to, and what Paul Nyamuda is called to, and what Mutsam Zembe is called to, they are all linked to one purpose. You know why people fight in churches? You know why people fight in families? Because they haven't synergized their callings. Because their mindset is, I am called to this, so I'm moving in this direction, and you're called to that, so you move in another direction. But I mean, if you know that when God has called you to work together with people, you may have different styles, you may have different callings, you may have different assignments, but the purpose is the same. How many of you know that a church flourishes when the worship leader, the pianist, the door greeters, the ushers, the children workers, the preacher, all have the same purpose. You see, when we come and we gather and our goal is to glorify Jesus and our goal is to reach people for Christ who are unsaved, then we just flow. Amen? Do you know where envy comes from? Do you know where fighting and quarrels come from? It's when the purpose is not the same. That's where you have division. Die vision. Vision is different. Amen? And look at this. It says in verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be recorded, rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. 
This is very powerful, the revelation that is here in just these two verses. So here's the principle. No one is called in isolation. You understand that? No one is called in isolation. When God calls you, he's thinking of a community. He's thinking of a nation. He's thinking of a region. He has other people in mind. He doesn't have a silo mentality when it comes to him calling you. When God called Tracy Joy Nyamuda, God also had Samuel Nyamuda in mind. The callings are linked to one purpose. Are you following that? No one is called in isolation. Your church and your business will flourish when you synergize your callings in one purpose. Division comes when we have diverse purposes and agendas. And you see, I've seen this in the workplace. So you have one person in a team and their goal is to really serve faithfully and give their clients plus one service. Then you have another person in the team and their main goal is taking over from the boss. Then you have another person and their main goal is maximizing on their bonus this year. Then you have another person in that team and their thing is, how can I do other stuff and steal money from the company? They're working in one team, but their purpose is completely different. And that's where you have quarreling. And that's where you have issues. Not so? Come on, how many of you are working with people today in your team at work, but you know they're freeloaders? They just want a free ride. I remember speaking to one person, that was a group coaching session, and one of them just says, guys, you know what it's like? It was an accelerated program, so it was for the talented people in the organization. It was a particular bank. I won't mention its name, because some of you in this church work for that bank. I remember we were sitting down there in a building in Santon, a nice fancy building, and... <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. And no, there are multiple banks who've got that have got nice fancy buildings in Santon. Come on, they are. But anyway, we were sitting, and one of them said, "But you guys know what it's like here. Hey, how it's just a handful of us who carry everyone else." So in the workplace today, we have freeloaders because they don't have the same purpose and agenda as you. In the church today, we have freeloaders. And so you see, my purpose could be we want to reach people. We want Jesus' name to be made famous. But someone else could be serving in the same ministry, but they have a different agenda. And then we have problems. Amen? Our callings are linked to one purpose. You even see this on family holidays. Have you noticed? There's some family holidays where I've said to my wife, you know what, let's just agree up front. This holiday we're going for, the purpose is for the kids. It's for the kids. And that brings so much peace because there's now one purpose. So if the kids are saying, we want to play tennis, we want to do this, then it's fine. But if we try and have multiple purposes for the holiday, where Paul is going and he's thinking, oh, I can take a break for 10 days, just reading my books, just chillaxing. What will happen? The purpose is now different. So I'm trying to chillax. The kids are now saying, Daddy, Daddy, let's go here. Daddy, let's go there. My wife is saying, my love, do you want to join me on this run? Do you want to join me on this cycle? I'm thinking, but guys, I just wanted to chillax. <laughs> Multiple purposes, division. Amen? Different callings, same purpose. We can have different styles. We can have different gifts, but still aim to achieve the same purpose. And here's the lesson. Don't attempt to build God's kingdom by yourself. 
When, when you get excited about that calling on your life, don't get so excited that you think God has called you in isolation. He'll always call you in context. You can't say, I'm called by God, but I hate people. I'm called by God, but I don't know how to relate to people. Your holiness will manifest in how you relate to people. How many of you know that that's what marriage does to you? Marriage very often produces sanctification. Marriage will teach you not to be selfish. You see, back in the day, these shamans will get onto some holy mountain thinking, let me just be apart from the rest of the world. And that's where I'll become so holy. Uh-uh. It was people like Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. I know it's a lot of black people. When you say Martin Luther, they just think, oh, I have a dream. No, I'm talking about Martin Luther, the reformer. In the 1500s, the guy who basically brought about a strong reformation. And he's the one, initially he was a monk. But you know, when he left the monastery, he ended up getting married to a former nun. Because back in the day, there was this association with, you know what, if I don't get married, then I'm holier. I won't contaminate myself by getting married. Are you, are you following? But in the context of relationship, very often it produces sanctification. I'm not just talking about marriage, I'm talking about relationships in general, where you literally have to learn patience with people. Don't try to build God's kingdom by yourself. Number six, each person is accountable for their part. This is so important to understand. What I've noticed is so many people think that, oh, you can have a, a pastor, not necessarily talking about this church, I'm just saying in general. You can have a pastor who's successful and faithful and has pure motives. That doesn't mean you are successful also and faithful and you have pure motives. We'll be judged individually too. Amen? And as we're growing up, we would go to these youth groups and we would have to address certain issues and say to people, don't ride on other people's glory. And what we were meaning was, some people thought that they were so holy, so used by God, because they were literally living their life out through someone else. And they would do what Paul the Apostle says. Oh, have you seen our youth group leader? Look how good he is. I even remember at Vasti where we would have multiple bands. You know when you're in churches where you've got multiple worship bands? And you'll see people having these, oh, I like this band because it's got so-and-so. Then you'll have some bands that will have these guys. You know how, you know, when you're near the coast and so on, you know, you, all a guy, that guy doesn't have to be that good looking. Guy just has to be a surfer and be able to play guitar and have a nice voice. And the girls are like, ooh, ooh, I like this band because it's got so-and-so. Fleshly, worldly, immature. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Don't know why my wife is laughing. She knows, she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> But you know what? Just because you have a pastor who might be doing God's will for his life doesn't mean you're doing God's will for your life. Just because you have a small group leader who's humble and faithful and has got sound doctrine doesn't mean you have sound doctrine. Each one will be accountable for his part. Just because we have a wonderful ladies ministry and we had a great time on Friday night doesn't mean we'll all be rewarded for that event the same amount. Can I go there? Each one is rewarded according to his own labor. 
Just because you are married to a wonderful intercessory prophetic wife doesn't mean you are holy. You ask some people, hey, so yeah, what church do you guys go to? Yeah, my wife usually goes to uh, such and such. <laughs> people come and ask me. I've had to learn this. Hey, so Paul, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Your wife is a strong triathlete. Your kids are... So what, what do you do? Yeah, you know, hey, guys, I'm the cheerleader, you know, uh, of the family. I just... How many of you know I can do as much cheerleading I want to do for them? It won't change my physique. There are certain things you can't do by osmosis or association. Each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. Although when we had the inter-house athletics on Friday, we had to do a parents thing and it just felt good, you know, just getting back on the track. And... <laughs> And having my wife afterwards say, hey, yeah, yeah, you're fast. <laughs> and then she says, so, so how do you feel about that? You know, does it encourage you? Do you think you can get back? Like, on... <laughs> then I'm like, ah, let's discuss that one later. <laughs> okay. Each person is accountable for their part. That's why the scripture says, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You'll be rewarded for your individual contribution. For every calling, there are specific tasks. And for every task, there is some degree of labor. If you say, I'm called to be a teacher of the word... Paul says to Timothy, study and show yourself a workman approved. And he first says, present yourself to God as a workman approved. There's a labor associated with being a teacher of the word. Amen. You can see as I'm teaching you this morning, I've got a very busy schedule in the week. You guys understand my situation, right? I'm, I'm, I do other stuff also. Okay, It's not like in the week I'm twiddling my thumbs, right? I've got a coaching business. I'm, all, I'm back to back. I'm doing lots of stuff. Very full schedule. But when it comes to the word, I have to study it. I've already prepared four of these, hey? In fact, five. Five sermons for this series already done. You understand that? I'm not just thumb sucking. I could have come this morning and thumb sucked. And you would have been like, okay, that was fine. That was okay. But I know what I'm called to. And there's labor associated with the calling. Amen? If you say, I'm called to be a mother, what's the labor associated with mothering? I'm called to be a teacher of the word. What's the labor associated with teaching the word? I'm called to be a prophet. You can't say I'm called to be a prophet, but you don't pray. Because a, pro a prophet's call is the watchman call. And watchmen stand in the gap. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm called to be a kingdom entrepreneur. You can't say I'm called to be a kingdom entrepreneur, but you're stingy with your cash. There's a lifestyle that is associated with the calling. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, I urge you therefore, brethren, as a prisoner for Christ's sake, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. To live a life worthy of the calling. The lifestyle has to match the calling. You can't say, hey, I want to be a professional sportsman. You know, like my kids. Hey, yeah, yeah, I think maybe I'll be a professional soccer player. I'll say, okay, well, you have to up your game, guys. You have to up your game. Because I see what some other nine-year-olds are doing. 
I see what Robin Van Persie's son is doing. I see the first touch, the skill that they have. You guys have it naturally, but you have to work on it if that's what you want to be. And you can't be professional everything. Amen? Yeah. I think it's so powerful. We'll be rewarded according to our own labor. For every calling, there's a specific task. And for every task, there's some degree of labor. Prophets do certain things. Elders eld. You can't just say, I'm an elder in the church. An elder. Well, yeah, we were elders, Pastor Paul. There are certain things that elders do. Amen? I'm a pastor. I'm called to the pastoral. There are certain things pastors do. The Bible says that the fivefold ministry is for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So if you're called into a fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, you're called to equip the saints to do those particular things. Amen? I'm called to be a teacher in a high school, pastor, to teach the youth. There's labor associated with that. Are you willing to labor? Amen. Let me give you the last one, then we'll close. Number seven, there is grace available to accomplish your calling. Whatever God has called you to, there is grace available to accomplish your calling. Have I been called to be Tracy's husband? Church, have I been called to be Tracy's husband? There is grace available to husband her. Amen? So if she's been called to do A, B, C, D in her life, I can't say, oh, I can't cop. I'm not copying. God has given me the grace to be her husband. He's given you everything that you need in order to husband your wife. Amen? Wives, if you've been called, has Tracy been called to be my wife? She has been given everything she needs. All the resources, and you'll need, she needs lots of resources, right? All the resources she needs to wife me. Amen? Has Mutsa been called to be Nyari's father? Some people don't, some of, some of you don't actually know who we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. But he said yes. He's been given everything that he needs. And Nyari must understand that, you know what? Whatever I need from a father, God has put it in my dad. Out of all the dads I could have had, God has chosen Mutsa Muzembe to be the one for me. Isn't that wonderful? God gives you the grace you need in order to do what he's called you to do. Stuart Bishop has been given all the resources he needs in order to husband Selian. And we see the things on Facebook she writes and so on. I think he's doing a great job. <laughs> now watch what it says in verse 10. It says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise 
builder. He didn't just say, hey guys, did you check me out? I laid that foundation. He says, by the grace God has given me, I did it. You see, you can try and accomplish your calling, but outside of the grace God has given you. You know what he means when he says, by the grace God has given me? That's divine ability. And what he talks about is some people go beyond the grace they've been given. This is where calling becomes very interesting and very subtle. Because I might be called to teach, but I can go beyond the grace that has been made available to me. And I can try and teach crowds that God hasn't assigned to me. When you study the scripture, you start seeing that God assigns you to a place. God gives you his field. Paul talks about it. But if I now use the teaching grace to go to other fields I've not been called to, I'm going beyond the grace given to me. And the grace then runs out because I'm trying to use it in an area that I was not assigned to. says I laid a foundation as a wise master builder and someone else is building on it whenever God calls you he gives you the resources and enablement to complete the work there are some things people do based on natural talent and the results are okay but there are other things people do based on God adding his super to their natural and the results are phenomenal could it be that that person you admire so much and you think, well, they must have just been born with it. That's why they're doing it. But it's because they're doing what they were assigned to do. So you're seeing a supernatural enablement. And could it be that in your case, the reason why you're toiling in that particular thing is you're relying only on your natural talent. And when you rely only on natural talent, there's a degree of success. There's a degree of success. But when you do it in the field God has called you to, when you do the labor he's called you to labor in, and when you receive grace from him, divine enablement to do the particular thing, we will see things that are phenomenal. And people will start singing your praises. And that's why you have to say, guys, it's God's doing because I'm flowing with him. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want supernatural results, not average stuff. Not average stuff. Sadly, many people are only known for what they average at. They're only known for what they average at because they've limited their lives to their natural talent. Ask yourself the question today, am I functioning according to my natural talent and because I'm surrounded by people who are average anyway, they're always singing my praises about it. But have I limited myself to my natural talents? Or have I added his super to my natural? Ask yourself that. I want to share with you guys an interesting thing that happened to me a couple of years ago. How many of you have listened to an audio that I've done? If you go on to polnyamuda.com, there's some free audios, over 100. You can just download polnyamuda.com. And there's one there how to prepare for a bashing session with your boss. Has anyone, is anyone familiar with that one? Has anyone listened to that? 
Okay, if you need to prepare for a bashing session with your boss, I encourage you to read that, to listen to that. And what was interesting for me was that came about when I was coaching an individual who was working for local government. And this individual at the time said, oh, you know what, Paul, hey, I, think, I think the mayor is going to bash me. Hey, Oh, I think ah, he might address A, B, C, D with me. Can you tell me, please, I just need your advice. How do I prepare for a bashing session? Well, he didn't use that term, but hey, how do I prepare for that? Now, how many of you wake up in the morning thinking, I want to write something on how to prepare for a bashing session with your boss? No. I hadn't even thought of that concept. And I found that as I was giving him the answers, I had to take notes on myself. Because I hadn't thought of that concept before. And I was giving him the answer and I came up with about 10 to 15 key points of how to prepare for a bashing session with your boss. And God's grace was all over that. And what was interesting is in a, it was either that session or the next session, the guy said to me, you know what, I also want to work on my spiritual life. Because, and I said, are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? And the guy said, no, I haven't. I was a bit religious, but I haven't given my life to Jesus. I'm not born again. He got born again. There was God's grace so strong in that situation, but I was relying on divine enablement. Amen. And it was interesting because that particular talk, I got feedback from someone else who had downloaded that particular message. They said, oh, that one. How to prepare for a bashing session with your boss. Oh, that one. You see, some of you are not distinguishing between when you're operating with your natural talent and when there's divine enablement. But when you tilt your life towards God's grace and his enablement, you'll feel fulfilled in what you're doing and the results will be phenomenal. Amen. So this is the first part of this journey in understanding our calling. We've spoken about various things, that there is grace to accomplish your calling, that each person is accountable for their part, that our callings are linked to one purpose, that we, are only tr we only truly understand our calling when we embrace God's role in it, that with every calling comes specific assignments, and that we need to celebrate our nothingness, and that it requires maturity to truly understand your calling. I trust that you are blessed. Let's pray.